Welcome to the MCU Fan Show pre-show. My name is Sean Gerber. You are about to hear episode 172 of the podcast, but a funny little story, or really just a little story, it's not funny, about this episode is Paul and I recorded it on Saturday after a full week of Marvel news, thinking that we would just about have everything covered if we had this show ready to go for all of you on Monday morning. And then on Sunday night, Marvel Studios went and dropped the first trailer for the WandaVision Disney Plus series. And while Paul and I probably won't have a chance to do another episode during this week, I didn't want to leave you this entire week without any thoughts on the WandaVision trailer. So I'm going to go ahead and provide some initial thoughts now, and then Paul and I will break down the trailer in full at a later time on another episode of the podcast that should be recorded sometime relatively soon. Now, as for those initial thoughts, I loved the WandaVision trailer. I know, surprise, surprise, Sean loved another Marvel trailer. What else is new? But I don't think I was alone in that. It seems like a lot of you were really excited about this trailer. And across social media on Sunday night, I was seeing people being just in love with WandaVision and what we've been seeing from this series, whether it's the Super Bowl spot or really now more specifically this trailer that we got on Sunday night. And it was also really awesome because of our Patreon community that we have, the Discord that we have. We were all just geeking out about this trailer together last night. Everyone seems to be really excited and just can't wait to see this show, which we are going to see according to the WandaVision Disney Plus landing page, as well as a press release that we will talk about later on in episode 172 of the podcast that you're going to hear. We are going to see this series. It is set to premiere, at least as of now, in December 2020. That's not what the trailer says. It just says coming soon. But the Disney Plus landing page says December 2020, a Disney Plus press release last week said that the show would premiere in late 2020, December being the last month of the year. That all checks out. So as for the trailer itself and what exactly is going on here, I'm going to try and save as much of that as I can for the breakdown, although I'm probably going to spoil some of my thoughts here. But I just love how weird and wonderful this series feels. I'm all about these different sitcom realities and even the way this opens up with the black and white Marvel Studios logo. And at first it kind of looks almost home movie-esque with Wanda and Vision driving home and just married and Twilight Time by the Platters from 1958 is playing if you want to have a challenge round for Doctor Strange. And then it shifts to the four by three classic television aspect ratio as we continue in this black and white 50s sitcom thing. And Wanda saying or Vision saying, Wanda, aren't we a fine pair? And Wanda saying, this is our home now. I want us to fit in. And we see her changing Vision from his synthesoid form to a more human form, kind of like we saw in Scotland in Avengers Infinity War. So I think what we're seeing here is Wanda, at least the idea is that she has some control over this environment. She can control how things look when they're going to have dinner with some guests. We see wine being poured. We see the table being set. And there are no hands doing that. So I'm guessing that's Wanda making things move around. She can move things with her mind. So she seems to be in some sort of control here, but not completely, because during this dinner conversation, we see Deborah Jo Rupp, Kitty from that 70s show, is one of their guests at this dinner party. Fred Melamed is uh, uh, presumably uh, Deborah Jo, the husband of Deborah Jo Rupp's character. But Deborah Jo Rupp's character is asking, where did you two move from? How long have you been married? And why don't you have children yet? And it just feels like just the normal sort of not even nosy questions that somebody would ask. And it just feels like this typical 50s sitcom conversation. But then Fred Melamed's character just starts flipping out because 
Vision tries to answer the questions. I think what my wife means to say is that we moved from, and he can't even complete that sentence. And that's when Vision and Wanda start looking at each other. And that's where we see things breaking down. And that's where they become aware that whatever they're living in right now, it can't quite be real, or it certainly can't be all that it seems to be. And there's a breakdown in this reality because it's not just like everything holds. Fred Melamed's character is shifting out of this sitcom attitude to where he becomes threatening. I mean, he's asking the que- he's repeating the questions from Deborah Jorup. He's doing that in anger. He's pounding on the table. And as this is all happening, we see the aspect ratio shifting to 16 by nine, which is kind of where I mean, if it's uh, if it's any sort of visual cue at all, this is where it's telling us that we're not just on some 50 sitcom. This is the Marvel Cinematic Universe and there's something that's going on here. And with Vision and Wanda looking at each other, they are completely confused by this. They're totally taken aback. And it makes me wonder what's going on here. I mean, we've been speculating about is Wanda the one creating this for herself? Is somebody making her create this? And she's not even aware of that. Is Vision playing a part in this or is he just a figment of Wanda's imagination? And Vision appears to have more of his own independent agency in this, as I'll talk about a little bit more on this trailer But he appears to have something going on here. So I don't know that this is entirely Wanda anymore. I think this trailer has thrown a little bit of a wrench into some of the theories that are out there between those characters. And that's something that Paul and I will probably have to break down more when we discuss this trailer in full on a later episode of the podcast. But we also see as as soon as this tense moment ends, we shift to happier moments with these sitcom transitions. We see it transitioning into color. We see 70s and 80s settings and Wanda asking, is this really happening? We see happier moments, Wanda and Vision dancing together. We see them holding babies. We saw these invisible babies with pacifiers that were shooting up back in the Super Bowl spot. But now we actually see the children. Uh, are they real? Are they going to last beyond WandaVision? That's something that we probably won't, probably won't know until we actually see the series. But as we're flashing through all of these visuals, we also get a look at Katherine Hahn, who we also saw earlier in the trailer when she was saying uh, during the 50s era saying oh this is going to be a gas as she is exiting presumably wanda and vision's house we see her again in these 80s workout clothes we see wanda in that classic scarlet witch costume that's really more of a halloween costume in this uh later on we do see a we see vision wearing a very classic comic book costume that is set during of course halloween that's how they can get away with wearing those clothes but before we even get to that we get vision, kind of the the modern day vision, as we normally expect him to look from Age of Ultron through Captain America Civil War and Infinity War. We see vision looking like that, and I can't quite tell where he is. He's out in front of a house. It is still set during Halloween, and even though he looks modern, I don't know if he's in a modern setting or this is just supposed to be really more of another sitcom reality that's maybe closer to our current time period. But he takes off, he hovers around the town, and then he stops to find a car. And inside that car is Catherine Hahn, who is frozen in this daze. And he wakes her out of that just by touching her. And she says, am I dead? He says, no, why would you think that? And she says, because you are. And then it cuts to a look at Vision. And then it cuts back to Catherine Hahn cackling. And of course, she's wearing a witch costume as all of this is happening. So here we are with Catherine Hahn. I never bought the idea that she was just the nosy neighbor. And I know there's been a lot of speculation about who she actually is. I don't want to drop that name here. Maybe Paul and I will do it on the full breakdown of the uh, on the full breakdown of the trailer 
because I know that for some people it might qualify as it might qualify as a spoiler because I think now the speculation is very likely to be right at this point as far as who Catherine Hahn is playing. So I don't want to give that away just yet because I think if you're familiar with Scarlet Witch and Vision, more specifically Scarlet Witch in the comic books, it's not that hard to figure out who Catherine Hahn is probably going to be. And if that's the case, I mean, we could be wrong about it. That's still a possibility. But if Catherine Hahn is who a lot of us think she is, I don't think Marvel is trying that hard to hide it, especially with Catherine Hahn wearing that witch costume there. I'm going to pass on dropping that name just for now in case nobody wants to hear it and provide fair warning when Paul and I are going to talk about it. But I, I think that what it really confirms to me more than anything else without giving away any sort of identity for Catherine Hahn's character is one thing I suspected immediately from when she walked out on stage when Kevin Feige announced her as being part of the series at D23 Expo in 2019. I never bought the idea that she was just going to be some nosy neighbor. Catherine Hahn, yeah, she's hilarious, and you could bring her in to just be really, really funny and have a couple of funny scenes throughout the series. Yeah, you could do that, but that's the kind of stuff that people used to... Those are the types of roles that maybe Catherine Hahn used to get, but I think what a lot of people have seen over the past several years is that she is an incredible actress, and as funny as she is, she's also an incredible dramatic actress. She can do it all, and so if you're going to bring somebody that talented into this series, I don't think you would just have her be a little bit of comic relief as a nosy neighbor. I always thought she was going to be more than that. And I think this trailer pretty much confirms that. And as far as what's happening here, it's difficult to make that out. Is this the modern day setting? Is this taking place completely outside of the sitcom realities and is Vision really back to life? Is that what's happening here? Or is this still within the sitcom and, and TV realities? I don't think we really have a definitive answer to that question just based on that moment. Something is up, but we can't quite tell what. And then we see other shots. We see uh, Vision in that Halloween costume that looks more like his classic comic book look. We see Wanda changing the TV reality. I mean, the first time we see it shifting from black and white into color, it, it's not quite clear that Wanda is the one who's doing it. But then we see later on, she is able to shift things around within these sitcom realities. And then we also see a shot of Monica Rambeau getting thrown out of this bubble, whatever they're in, in these sitcom realities. Monica Rambeau in 70s clothing is shot out of this. And we see her kind of burst through what almost looks like some sort of electrostatic version of the Truman Show bubble. She bursts out of that and, and we see it's, it's a nighttime shot. And then we see it, it cuts to a shot of these modern looking agents. I don't know if they're FBI or whatever they might be. And then we see Monica Rambeau hit the ground. And then we also get a, this wide shot of looking like it's some sort of camp that they have built up. I don't know if this is around whatever's happening with Wanda and Vision or if this is the camp where everything is sort of taking place and it's all been engineered to take place uh, within this these sitcom realities. Is this something that's being forced upon Wanda and or Vision? Is it something they're controlling? I mean, they have some control within it, but as far as the overall situation and how this is built, how this is constructed, I wonder what what role Monica Rambo and everybody else is playing in this. Are they the ones who constructed this entirely or have they built something around some other incident that already that started with Wanda and or Vision on their own? That is something that is a question that I'm sure Paul and I will be discussing on the next episode of the podcast. And then it really cuts to more of a, a happier ending, just going with a sitcom joke 
Wanda saying, we are an unusual couple, you know, Vision. Oh, I don't think that was ever in question. It's a cute, charming little ending to this very weird, very trippy trailer for WandaVision. And so I just, I'm so in love with this series already. I mean, I, I can't say that I like it. We need to actually see the show. But right now, just based on this trailer, everything we've been told about the show, the Super Bowl spot, everything we've seen about this, it just looks so fresh, so original. And it just looks like it has the potential to be one of the coolest things Marvel Studios has ever done. And that's really saying something at this point with everything that they have accomplished and everything that they have shown us in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I absolutely loved this WandaVision trailer. I cannot wait to see this series. And I am so happy to know that it's on the way this year. And we'll be talking more about that on episode 172 of the podcast, which begins now. Welcome to episode 172 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. Make sure you're following us on all the places that you can on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at MCU Fan Show. And if you have the time, we would appreciate it. We would appreciate it if I could talk. If you would give us a rating and review over on iTunes, also or on Apple Podcasts. And speaking of places where you can find this podcast, we're now on Amazon Music as well. No so way. Amazon now has podcasts, and we're there. Uh, cool. So you can find the MCU Fan Show in case you're not happy with your current podcatcher. There's another place for you to go ahead and be able to find this show. So we had a massive week of Marvel news. It's been a while since we've had anything quite like that. So, of course, I bring back my lovable co-host, Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I'm very, very well. Um, the uh, new Iron Man comic dropped this week, and I have to give uh, a recommendation for anyone who's hasn't read Iron Man or looking for a, a great jumping on point and or or whatever. I know it, some people out there might, might be waiting for Marvel Unlimited, but the brand new Iron Man comic is like it's only one issue. The art is really good. And the, it's the same writer from the Doctor Doom comic, which is very, very good. And uh, which also features part of our uh, topic today, actually. Uh, but anyway, I highly recommend it. It's a great jumping on point. If you want to wait for Marvel Limited, that's obviously legit, but it's worth picking up. It's a great jumping on point. So, yeah, check it out. Yeah, I, I love the the artwork that you shared as well as the logo. I haven't read the comic book. I usually just wait for things to drop on Marvel Unlimited because I'm cheap. Uh, and hey, now I'll I'm get good. to keep doing that with DC Infinite Universe or whatever they're calling their Marvel Unlimited mm. equivalent now that DC Universe is going to turn into. But anyway, yeah, I'll be excited to check out yes. that book because the artwork Do does look fantastic. It is very yeah. good. So uh, besides the, you know, the Marvel news this week, yeah, like, Last night, uh, just as I was about to knock out, massive earthquake, not that big in Los Angeles, but it was like a 4.6, which isn't that big of an earthquake, but it was about three miles from where I live. So, Oh, dang. Yeah, really so from it. that close, uh, it felt like a really massive earthquake, but hmm. I'm happy to report that all of my Marvel collectibles are okay. Uh, they survived. Only two action figures fell over, a Thanos Anna Gamora, appropriately enough, uh, fell over, but they were OK. Nothing was broken and they're back on the shelf mm -hmm. and safe until the next quake. Um, but for the Marvel news that we had this week, every single day of this previous week, because you're probably hearing this show on Monday, I think this is being posted. But so last yeah. week now, 
every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, there was at least some Marvel news. And it all started on Monday with the news that Jonathan Majors has landed a lead role in Ant-Man 3 or I don't know if it's Ant-Man and the Wasp 2, whatever it is. But Jonathan Majors has landed a lead role in the movie. This news came from Deadline. And according to their sources, even though Marvel had no comment, sources close to the project tell Deadline that Jonathan Majors is likely to play Kang the Conqueror. Before we talk about Kang the Conqueror, a little bit of background on Jonathan Majors. This is somebody who I don't know how many of you have heard of, although maybe a lot of you have over the course of this summer. I wasn't as familiar with Jonathan Majors until I saw Five Bloods, the new uh, Spike Lee film on Netflix in June, which also features the legend Chadwick Boseman. So I saw Jonathan Majors in Five Bloods, and I thought, who is this guy? He's really good. And then saw the trailer for Lovecraft Country, the HBO series, and saw that he was starring in that. And I was really excited to see more of his work in that series. And I have loved that show so far. And he is really great in it. So Jonathan Majors, for me as a fan, was certainly starting to move up my shortlist for fan casting of Marvel roles. Not that I really had something specific in mind, but I was really excited about the prospect of maybe this actor working in the MCU one day and then finding out on Monday that he was going to be in Ant-Man 3 and just seeing that headline, wondering, just already being excited about that, not even knowing what the role was. And then you hear Kang the Conqueror, and that's exciting on multiple levels. There's the first part that it's Kang the Conqueror, but there's also the point that for Jonathan Majors, he's kind of been more of a protagonist in uh, in Lovecraft Country as well as Defy Bloods. He hasn't really, I, I, at least not in anything I've seen yet, hasn't been playing a villain or antagonist role. And I tend to really love those casting choices where it's just a really good actor and I can't really see them in the role just yet but I trust that they're going to be great because they tend to be great in the other things that I've seen them in. And so it's that curiosity and and all of that possibility and potential with Jonathan Majors in this role that is is really amplifying my excitement for this news. But Paul, I think they just had you at Kang the Conqueror. Oh yeah, man. You're telling me, first of all, Kang the Conqueror is a heavy it's a big deal in a sense where you're you're really going in deep with Marvel continuity if you're adding King the Conqueror because you're not just adding him into it. You're adding in what he represents, which is time travel, multidimensional traveler. And with, with what we got in the Infinity War and uh, obviously with Endgame, there's the our introduction to the multiverse slash time travel, mm-hmm. whatever. And and we know with Loki, they're going to go deep in that as well. So to me, Sean, this really confirms that they're going to kind of go deep in, in a different level. Like, yeah. like for instance, we, DC is very multiverse heavy and they have they have their kind of thing where they, have, they collide together and there's different super, you know versions of superheroes or whatever. And, and Marvel has that, too. But the difference is, is that. You know, and they have their own villains going on with it, whatever. But King the Conqueror is kind of just he's kind of intertwined with with all these different, you know, things with when Marvel does it on their end in some capacity. And he is literally just with what they did in those two films of Infinity War and Endgame. You have now opened the door to be to better explain Kang. Because if you just put throw King the Conqueror 
in Avengers one or Avengers two, uh, age of Ultron or whatever, it's going to be a lot for an audience to accept and go, what it's, it's way too much. And now that Marvel has established and not just Marvel, but DC too, let's give them a little bit of credit with all their multiverse things going on, even on TV, the audience that eats this stuff up is now way more accepting of this kind of a convo or excuse me, spider versus well, don't let me forget that. So the, the common, you know, mainstream person who in, enjoys superhero films is now going to accept a, a little more complexity when it comes to the storytelling and multidimensional traveling. And by now that we can do that, that leads us to King the Conqueror. And oh man, let me tell you, this sucker is King has one of the, my favorite designs ever in Marvel villains. He's he's definitely up there as far as like just he's a great, great design. He's no one else looks like King the Conqueror. He just has such a unique look, and I love that about him. And with King the Conqueror comes with just, I mean, I'm not sure how deep they're going to go, Sean, but if you want to go comics deep for a second, let me just tell you something. There is so much more going on because he is a, he was an original Pharaoh. He was King. He's originally King Tut. And then he time travels and it's kind of crazy. Basically time, time travels to get himself into the future as King Tut or wherever uh, his character was. Well, he was, was originally right? from the future, went all the way back. Because like... That's he, right. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Got right. Rec- yeah, yeah. Like after he was Rama Tut in Fantastic Four, he then showed up as Kang in Avengers and explained that, you know, when he was Rama Tut in Fantastic Four, what you saw there was the first time he had traveled all the way back in time. That's He's right. from the 31st century. And he traveled back in time as Rama Tut. And then mm-hmm. he went forward, but he went too far forward. He went from the year right. 3000 to... Obviously, he went back to ancient Egypt and then he went all the way forward to the year 4000 and he was basically ruling over a post-apocalyptic, just desolate nothingness. So you have that's King. So you have so there's actually so you have King Tut, that character, Rama Tut character. You've got King. Don't forget Immortus, which is a different version of King that does not have the amazing costume. I like actually like Immortus's costume, too. But they are the same character, just different time frames and different dimensions. It's 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 insane. I can't even keep it all straight. Yeah. It's bonkers. So with them introducing Kang, it's a big deal in a sense where we're going to get some real crazy stories. And we already know we are with WandaVision and Doctor Strange and all that. So this just confirms. And now I also want to point out, like, because I know we've got King. We could talk forever about King. There's a lot. There's a lot coming with this character, I think, because we're seeing potentially the new Thanos. And again, like, that's what I think we're going to get from this. And I love the idea that these two films of Endgame and Infinity War are going to have now led the gateway to have this character in here. Though what I find fascinating, the fact that he's showing up in Ant-Man 3 is I'm gonna, I'm not sure if you remember this, and we're, I'm sure we're, we're going to read this for an eventual book club in the future for our Patreon members. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> Young Avengers, uh-huh. the original arc, features King the Conqueror as the main mm-hmm. villain. And I'm not going to spoil what happens. It's, 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 one of my, it's actually one of my favorite recent last, I say, you know, Avenger stories, or I'll say, okay, I'm as Avenger stories in the last 20 years. And it's, a really, really good book. And Kang is a big, big reason why. And he's, and he's all over that series. 
and also features a young Avenger character named Stature, which mm-hmm. also happens to be in or now an adult, a teenage girl in the MCU. And we so what I'm trying to get at is that we could be getting a I'm not saying it's going to be Young Avengers, but we're getting with Ant-Man 3. But I think there's going to be potential. This can only confirms to me that that might be what we're getting. I so, totally think that's what's happening. I oh, think I'd that. Okay. No, like I, I, I've had the suspicion of Young Avengers and our patrons can attest to this. I have had one of these suspicions and I've got receipts to prove it because it's become a more commonly speculated thing. But it's something I've thought about for a while and thinking what would be the next step for the Ant-Man franchise. And one of the things I immediately thought about, whether it was going to be in the actual Ant-Man franchise or what's the next thing you do with Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, even if it's not strictly speaking an Ant-Man or Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. And I just thought the next step for them would to be chaperones for a Young Avengers or Champions team. And that was what I thought would be a great next step for them. And whether that was in their own franchise or they were like in a Disney Plus series that was called Young Avengers or Champions, whichever name they want to use, whatever. So and those are different characters, by the way. So I'm not confusing the teams as far as the comic books go. I'm just talking about whether they whether or not they want to adopt the same name for the team as Young Avengers in the MCU. It wouldn't surprise me if they give them their own team identity. But anyway, that aside, that's something I've already been speculating about. And I know others have been speculating about for a while. But then when I saw this news and you you think of a character like Kang the Conqueror and you think of his history as a Marvel villain, as an Avengers villain, a young Avengers villain, he's such a big deal that no offense to Ant-Man and the Wasp, but Kang's bigger than that. I, I mean, he's the kind of character where 100 percent you would associate that with. Yeah, this is a challenge, not just for two heroes, but for several. And so I, I think that's where it leads me to think that. This is about more than it's not just I will be surprised and I could end up being totally wrong. And so this will be a receipt of me being wrong. I'm just saying I would be surprised if it's just Ant-Man and the Wasp versus Kang. That would surprise me. I I think it's Ant-Man and the Wasp and some other people Mm -hmm. against Kang. That's what I think this is. But I also think that the Ant-Man franchise is a great place to start this. As far mm-hmm. as Kang, because Deadline also alluded to, by the way, they said there could be a twist with how the character is featured in future films, implying that there is a future for Kang, not just this movie. Mm. I don't know if he's really, truly new Thanos, but more on that in a bit. Just getting mm. into this specific film and why I think this is the perfect place to insert Kang the Conqueror is, yeah, there is the suspicion I've had that maybe Scott and Hope will be chaperoning some young Avengers. So there is that part of it. But also, what is the access point to the multiverse and time travel and multiple timelines in the MCU as as it's been defined thus far? It's the quantum realm. Where did we learn about the quantum realm? What franchise drives that? It's the Ant-Man franchise. And so when we look at everything that's already happened from Scott, from Janet being stranded in the quantum realm, Scott going into the quantum realm, Hank going into the quantum realm, And then we also know that there's other stuff that's going on. I mean, everything that we saw with the Quantum Realm and Avengers Endgame, but I don't think that's where it stops because it's not like the Quantum Realm was closed off to everybody at the end of Avengers Endgame where everybody thought, well, we we can never go back there. We also know that 
Ant-Man was going back into the quantum realm to get the little quantum healing particles to help Ghost. And potentially, they're probably going to get those particles to help all kinds of other people. And so when you look at what's happening there in the quantum realm and, and how closely that connects with everything with Ant-Man and how much it's driven by that, if some villain is going to emerge from the quantum realm through multiple timelines or whatever it is, it's Kang would be that villain and it would be pretty obvious to go ahead and have that character pop up within the confines of the Ant-Man franchise. That just makes all the sense in the world to me. And that's also something that you and I have speculated about. And I don't know if it's on the main show, the Patreon, wherever, but we've talked about this, Paul. Unintended consequences of Avengers Endgame. Yes. That everything looked like it worked right well enough mm -hmm. in Avengers Endgame. Great. We won. Yeah, some people had to sacrifice themselves and they're no longer with us. But we got half of the universe back and Thanos is gone. And so we are able to move forward. And despite the sacrifices that we made, we're moving forward in a positive light. Yes, that's great. But hold on. Everything that they did in Avengers Endgame is based on their own rough understanding of time travel and the way it all works and the consequences of it. They think they clipped all the branches minus one with Loki, who's also going to be dealing with the time variance authority, as we saw in the Super Bowl spot footage for Loki with the TVA initials on his jumpsuit. So you have that going on. But then I think you also this is where there's a place for Kang, for somebody to emerge from this, because one of the things that Kang sees himself as it is Thanos like in a way and the way that Thanos saw himself as like the protector as a god for the universe to recreate the universe and how he saw fit. Part of Kang's motivation in the comics is because he went all the way forward to the year 4000 and saw how messed up everything was. He's kind of he takes it upon himself to kind of police the timeline in his own way to making mm. sure it doesn't he doesn't end up in a spot in this future where he is a conqueror of nothing. Um, and, and so I, I think that's what we're going to see is Kang bursting onto the scene probably referring to stuff that they've been doing in the Ant-Man franchise as well as Endgame, maybe also factoring in Loki, maybe WandaVision as well, or Multiverse of Madness from Doctor Strange. He might be referencing multiple things, but saying, you all of Earth in this timeline, in this moment, you've all been messing around with things you don't understand, and mm -hmm. now Kang is here and, and he's going to get you know revenge for the sake of the timeline. So it's a very natural point in the overall MCU to bring Kang into it. And you also hit on another important point, Paul, like just the idea that the audience is ready for this, right? Like you're not just, mm -hmm. you didn't just throw them into this at the beginning of the MCU. You've taken the audience into bigger and bigger and crazier and more comic booky cosmic types of things. So the audience has been, you know, the audience has been prepped for this, both within the MCU and outside of the MCU. And particularly, I mean, obviously, Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse did a huge thing because even I know the box office wasn't big, but people are watching that movie on Netflix. So the audience's familiarity and ability to embrace and enjoy and understand stuff like this and, and the crazier concepts, because with Kang, I mean, there's a council of Kangs, you know, Kangs across the different timelines. Like mm -hmm. Kang is a really crazy, nutty villain just as a concept. And so to see Marvel just going that, it just shows they're continuing to push the boundaries of what we can see in the MCU. And when you have a character like Kang, it just reaffirms that idea that there are just no limits in this universe. Exactly. And again, and I'm, you, you've read the, the original uh, Young Avengers, correct? Mm hmm. So don't forget the twist in that. So which, again, 
could be something we see, um, in my opinion, especially with what's happened with you know who recently or in the last MCU film, not including Spider Man, or it was all the same Endgame. If you if, and again, I, I want people to if you want to read it, go read it. I'm sure we're gonna read this eventually, and I can't wait to read this Young Avengers stuff. It's so good, but there's some stuff in there that first run is is riddled with with what they could go with. And I, I for one, don't think that this is going to be Kang versus Ant-Man. I think there's going to be something less than Kang. Kang's going to be operating from, he's going to be the Thanos in some, in some way. I I don't think, because here's the deal. You've got Kang the Conqueror. One thing they've already established is that there's, instead of time, there's dimensions. You know what I mean? So there hasn't been anyone going back in time necessarily. And they just go back to different dimensions, so there's no repercussions for what they're doing, kind of a thing. Which now we're going to be getting that in Loki and, and potentially with Kang. One thing I thought about was, and I don't, and again, I'm I'm not like the, have a scholar of Kang knowledge. Don't try to, you know, if you're like, why don't you know this? I just, you know, whatever. But what I what I think is probably going to end up happening is Kang is going to see the outcome of this Earth as a threat to him. Mm-hmm. because of the fact that, again, remember what Dr. Strange says when he like goes and visions all the different probabilities? We only have, we only win in one. And what I wonder is the, the ramifications of this one, mm-hmm. Kang may be like this specific, what's this called the MCU, but you know, whatever. Yeah. This is the one the, that never should have happened. Exactly. And yeah. it, it, it's a, the ultimate threat to him. And that's why he comes back to it. And you might get things that are connected with him of, you know, going back and trying to figure out what's going on. What, you know, what is the, what is the issue here? So I think that's where we're, what we're going to get. And I think you could see the, the beginnings of that in that Ant-Man movie, because right now, what do we have? We don't have an Avengers team. And we're not. We're probably not going to get. Well, especially now with all the stuff going on, we may not get an event, an actual proper Avengers movie in like six years, you know. And right to me, and, and again, like I, just because of with the Chadwick Boseman tragedy and everything going on, they've got to retool some stuff. We may not see that for a while. So to me, it makes even more sense than ever to have the Young Avengers be to step up. Because again, this isn't really a spoiler. In the comic books, that's essentially what they do. The Avengers are gone. They rise up in place of the Avengers. So I think there's there's a lot to that. And, and again, going back to if you read those comics, there's a vision connection with that as well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot going on here that I think that I I think I'm really excited about. Like to me, I love the idea of of shepherding. I don't think it's going to be like the full on young Avengers appearing for the first time in the MCU in Ant-Man three, but I do think obviously stature or stinger or whatever her name is going to be, uh, Cassie long or Lang, excuse me, is going to be the a superhero in the young Avengers. And I think there's going to be other heroes in that established as well in that movie to give it a little more comedy flair. Probably. I'm not sure who we don't know, obviously, obviously Miss Marvel is going to be part of that as well, which we'll get into that later. So there's a lot of possibilities to me. And I'm really excited because I've always liked the young Avengers. I'm a little disappointed. We haven't really had a continuation of those characters and necessarily, and, and that kind of give you a challenge here too, Sean, 
let's not forget, let's just assume that it's going to be all the Avengers characters from that original run, which I'd be totally fine if it was. I don't think we're going to see Hulkling. Wiccan's a possibility in speed, potentially. I think don't rule out uh, the, um, excuse me, um, oh my gosh, Avengers Academy characters. Mm. Um, lots of good characters in there as well that you could use uh, amidst, you know, obviously Miss Marvel and the champions as well. So I think you could cherry pick all of those three teams and have a really, really kick-ass uh, Avengers team, young Avengers team. So there, again, and if you use that that original young Avengers story as a template, there's a really nifty Kang story in there. And I think that I could be really, really cool. So which again, we'll save for a later time in the Patreon a young Avengers uh, show. So anyway, yeah, this is really exciting, people. Yeah, it is. And, and I think that with Kang the Conqueror, you know, coming onto the scene. Yeah, that, that going back to that point real quick, though, about the Young Avengers roster, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be just as it never is with the MCU. It's never going to be a like for like of this matches mm-hmm. up, because even though the Guardians roster from Guardians of the Galaxy 2014 matches up with a lot of the 2008 Guardians roster, it doesn't match up with all of it. Um, yeah. Certainly not all within the first film like Mantis. It, there's no Phi Lavelle. There's no Adam Warlock. Mantis is part of that run the whole time in the Albert and Landmine run or Abnet and Landmine yeah. run. And she's not there until Guardians Volume 2 in the MCU. So certain things change up and, and Marvel has the ability to have their own roster. And I do think that it's really more about the concept of the young superheroes. I, I wouldn't rule out Hulkling just yet, but mm. you have and, and Wiccan and Speed. I mean, there's invisible babies with pacifiers in WandaVision, although it's like a sitcom reality. So who knows what that really is or or isn't WandaVision? We will talk about in just a moment, but we still can't quite figure out what's going on there. But it could certainly have an impact on a Young Avengers or Champions team in the MCU. And that could certainly be a big part of Ant-Man 3. And so for Kang, just going back to that idea, because I said I would circle back to it of him as kind of the, the new Thanos I don't want to put that on Kang the Conqueror because I almost feel like that's not fair to Kang the Conqueror. Like Thanos is now just this ultimate cinematic villain. Not that Kang can't be that, but I also don't know that Kang is going to be, I don't know that Marvel Studios is going to put that on Kang. I do think that this is a character who will pop up in multiple movies, but it wouldn't surprise me if Kang is similar to Loki, not in terms of having this redemption arc, but where Loki was a villain in Thor, but then a villain in Avengers, but he wasn't the arch villain of the entire Infinity Saga. So maybe Kang is that type of villain where villain in Ant-Man 3, villain again in the next Avengers movie after that, but not necessarily the next like saga ending finale. That may not necessarily be Kang. And I also think for Marvel Studios, you want to try and avoid those comparisons as much as you can anyway, because they don't do you any favors. Like you can't just have a guy show up and oh that's the next Thanos it doesn't work like that I think you I think Kang will fulfill a different role than Thanos had in the Infinity Saga and I don't know that it's going to be just one central arch villain kind of like we had as a through line for the Infinity Saga I don't know that that's what we get this time and if we do I kind of think it's the more likely to be Doctor Doom but uh, if it's sweet. not, sweet, you know, but I, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm just saying I do think Kang's going to be a big deal in the MCU, but I just don't necessarily know if he's going to be uh, Thanos. And I don't know how much we want to get into it. I mean, I, I feel like we could talk about it because it's not that much of a spoiler, but, you know, because there is a big Fantastic Four connection with Kang the Conqueror. 
And if you look up, if you Google Kang the Conqueror, it's one of the first things that comes up. So I think people know this. It's in the articles, in the coverage that, you know, Nathaniel Richards, a descendant of Reed Richards, is Kang the Conqueror. Like, I, I don't mind spoiling that because it is part of it's a it's considered a fairly Ugh, basic part of my head know, hurts. the character in the mythology. But that is an FF connection. And it now I don't know that that's going to be the same in the MCU. Maybe that changes in the MCU. I, I don't I didn't really even know. know that, Sean. I didn't even know that. Yeah, you didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't know because well, I always thought yeah. King was around the tut. Like it was. I always, no, I always no, no. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I don't know in the comics if it's like definitively proven or it's just something that Kang claims um, that that part. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on. But sure. yeah, it is Nathaniel Richards. And it, like so there's a lot of stuff going on here and it, it sets up it. It could build off of a lot of what we think might be happening in the next several MCU stories, as well as things that we just know are on the way in the MCU. So this is big news. It's a big deal. And I, I would say that, again, the, the best news of all. Yeah, it's great that it's Kang the Conqueror, but this is a, a tricky character, a character who would be very easy, who would be rather easy to not take seriously. So you need an actor with a commanding presence and mm -hmm. I think Jonathan Majors has that. So I really like this casting. And I this is somebody who I think is really only coming onto the scene as far as most people becoming aware of him. But you're going to see something special because I think what he did in The Five Bloods was great. He's been awesome in Lovecraft Country. And so it just seems like and I know he's got a lot of other stuff that he's got other stuff that he's done, other stuff that's coming out. But this is just mm -hmm. a great piece of casting for a really great and just fascinating character who I'm happy to see is about to become part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Unless, of course, Deadline was wrong about the Kang the Conqueror part. If their sources were wrong about that and Jonathan Majors isn't Kang the Conqueror, then that's mm -hmm. a bit of a bummer. But I'll still be excited that Jonathan Majors is in a major role, uh, no pun intended, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But moving on to the Disney Plus side of things. So we mentioned WandaVision a few minutes ago, and we got confirmation, it would seem, from Disney that we are still going to see this series premiere on Disney Plus before this year is over. It was previously announced all the way back in February, which I know is forever ago at this point, all the way back in February. Then Disney CEO Bob Iger announced that WandaVision would premiere in December 2020. But then we didn't know what the status of anything was because Falcon Winter Soldier was August, but it's been delayed ind indefinitely. They're back to shooting that series again, but we still don't know when we're going to expect to see it. We knew that for WandaVision, it was far enough along that they actually had the wrap party for the series, but they hadn't completely finished filming it. But it appears that they've either finished it or they are confident that they are going to finish it and have everything ready in time for a December 2020 premiere because Disney Plus released a or Disney for Disney Plus released a promotional video earlier this week or now last week. And they mentioned in that video, there were clips of WandaVision, but there was also an accompanying press release that laid out a lot of the major debuts and premieres that are happening on Disney Plus, mainly in October and November. Um, well, also what's left of September. But then they also tacked on another paragraph for the end of the year. And they among the projects that they listed as premiering in late 2020, so presumably December, they mentioned WandaVision. So that I'm taking it, as many people are, as confirmation that at least for now, the plan still is that we will see at least one episode of WandaVision before this year is done. And that makes me really excited 
for the, the first reason is I've just been very intrigued by this series. While I consider my anticipation equal for all upcoming MCU projects, on the Disney Plus side, the most intriguing project to me is WandaVision, and so I'm happy that we're going to see it within a few months. That is the first major plus for me. But then the other part of that is just because we don't know what's going to happen with Black Widow just yet. And we'll talk about Black Widow during our Patreon credit scene. But we don't with not knowing what's going to happen with Black Widow. It becomes this question of are we going to get any story from the MCU this year? Are we going to go? Is there going to be any new chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe within this calendar year? Because the last time we went an entire calendar year without a new chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe was 2009. That was just the year after Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk started the MCU, and then we had a year off, and then Iron Man 2 in 2010. And ever since then, every year, we've had at least one MCU story. 2020 was about to be a complete miss, or could be, depending on what happens with Black Widow. But now WandaVision, based on this news, it looks like we're at least going to get one episode of that. So there's at least something from the MCU still on the way in 2020. So I'm definitely excited about that because I didn't want to be completely shut out on the MCU in 2020, Paul. Yeah, this is just, um, first of all, it sucks that we haven't gotten Black Widow yet. And I have been on record and said that it it was nice to get a little bit of a break because, you know, Marvel puts out so much stuff and, and it was like, okay, cool. I, I was, I was pretty much ready for Black Widow I was, I was gearing up. It was, it was about time for a Marvel film. And now that it keeps being delayed, it's hard. We'll, we'll get to that later. But so the fact that, you know, when, when winter soldier and Falcon show got pushed, which that's the one I'm mostly anticipating for many, many reasons, I was pretty bummed. And knowing we're getting this is a, a huge relief in some way that we're and not only just we're going to see it this year in a couple months, but we're going to get it into the next year, which I think we're obviously going to get at some point um, when our soldier and Falcon show and also obviously black widow or whatever, it, what, you know, we'll, again, we'll talk about that. We'll tackle that later. So the thing for me is I, I think I've gone on record saying this one, I'm not like uber excited about, but it's something that like you kind of said, Sean, I'm really intrigued and I'm actually am very grateful that, yeah, that like, Marvel. What is it? Exactly. Like it's not, it's thinking outside the box. And I love the idea that Disney plus is now going to give Kevin Feige and MC and Marvel studios. I was MCU as a, it's own, you know what I'm saying? But, um, but and Marvel studios, a little more freedom on the creative side to tell different stories instead of the same, kind of format of, of film medium that offers now, now granted I love the film medium and I love the TV medium. It's like, I love the comic book medium and, and you know, whatever. So I don't, I'm not saying that one's better than the other in a sense, but at least, but obviously, and this is goes, I think goes without saying you tell stories differently, you know, obviously in the mediums and that's why you have adaptations, et cetera, et cetera. So what's really exciting is that, now what with these characters we'll get different kinds of ideas of what they're doing you know on a regular i don't say regular basis but get a peek inside their characters a lot more is what i'm trying to say and i'm really really fascinated of what that could mean for the mcu in general and i think that this will be our first take into it and to be quite honest sean 
I think it's almost appropriate we're going to get this first um, now because before Falcon and Winter Soldier, because again, we're going to get introduced to a different style of, of telling a story in the MCU. And I think it's really going to show us like what what is the MCU capable of besides just the regular format of, you know, Hollywood format, which, again, they've nailed down. And I love and I'll eat it up every day, twice on Sunday. The difference is that I'm really intrigued of where what this could mean for future things and going forward. And potentially as the as these shows develop and the MCU develops into cross pollinating between um, officially through TV um Disney Plus and films and, and, and going back and forth, what that will mean for these characters. And maybe you could have a thing where you have them on a, a limited four, eight or four or five episode miniseries, and they eventually have their own film. Like we're, we're potentially going to have with the Falcon turning into Captain America, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's only fitting that Wanda Wanda vision is just such a unique idea. As far as, as much as we know, we don't know a lot that, it's going to get a, a good insight of what, what we could expect. And I think it's really exciting. And I think that I'm really excited to get a different take on from the MCU. And I think that's going to be important for the MCU to keep going in the future, because what we all know in comic books, people, you know, get resurrected, they come back and it just kind of, it's in cycles. And, and, and at least in the Marvel universe, things don't ever end. Well, well, in the MCU, we're going to get people ending. And I think that's maybe kind of a good thing. And I think that's why Marvel Comics have now gone through their generations and are now, instead of like just going back to the original heroes, they're going to a new generation of heroes. And we're seeing the kind of legacy heroes that, we, that DC used to do, Sean, now in the Marvel. And I think now with this idea, and I, 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 there's a reason why I'm saying all this, is that I think WandaVision is kind of like a, a good kind of step forward in for the MCU. For the MCU to continue forward, you need WandaVision to work creatively and obviously commercially in a sense to where people actually like it. So I'm really, really intrigued because it was Falcon and Winter Soldier. It seems like a you know pretty straightforward, you know, little longer form MCU film. Hey, sign me up. I'm all about that. WandaVision is a little bit more different in what they could do with the MCU going forward. For the longevity of the MCU and the new characters are probably going to be bringing in, I think this is important for the MCU. And I'm really hoping and pulling for, not only because I love the MCU, but I want to see something different and have it be successful. Because if they if they knock this out of the park, Sean, and, they, and it shows that they can creatively knock this out without having to you know, punch everyone and, and have a giant fight scene every episode. If you get where I'm going with this, mm -hmm. then that's a giant, giant success or a big, big deal for the MCU. I totally agree. I think that's why WandaVision is so intriguing and such an exciting possibility is because it's just such a completely different format and not just from the obvious thing of, well, this is a longer form narrative because it's multiple episodes or several episodes as opposed to a two hour, two to two and a half hour movie. Yeah, there's that. But also we've never really seen something like this where they have this sitcom type reality. And that's all we've seen so far. But we've also heard that this is fused with an MCU epic type of story. And so it's a completely different narrative form. And that's really exciting. And I think that is important for Marvel Studios because the more when you add just new ways that you can tell stories, new ways that you can format stories and present them to an audience, you give yourself unlimited possibilities as far as the types of stories you can tell and how you can tell them. 
And this is also a really exciting one because as Elizabeth Olsen has said, this is something, this was an idea that was kind of hatched in the brain of Kevin Feige. And so to think about him having an opportunity to kind of have this somewhat original idea. I know that these are this is still an adaptation of characters that were created by other people, but to kind of have this idea of reinventing a format in which you can tell stories with these characters and certainly somebody who is qualified to have a great and creative idea with everything that Kevin Feige has accomplished in his career at this point. That's also a huge part of what's exciting about this to me. And so I'm really excited to just be able to see this. I didn't want this to be delayed as well. Don't know what's going to happen with Black Widow. It seems highly unlikely that the Falcon Winter Soldier is going to make it into 2020 because they're still shooting it. And where they're shooting now is Atlanta. They still, as far as we know, have to go film in the Czech Republic. And everything, as far as filming goes, takes longer right now as you're having to go through, and rightfully so, all of the COVID protocols to make sure you have a safe set. So all of that makes, th- makes everything take longer. And so it's going to be a while. Whatever amount of time they thought they would have normally had left to film the Falcon Winter Soldier, it's going to take even longer than that because the whole process is slower at this point. So it's nice to know that at least WandaVision is on the way. And then as far as that issue of the watch order, because I know that's the question mark, because I've seen a lot of people saying that that's the weakness of Marvel Studios and the MCU is because if one thing gets delayed, everything has to be delayed because it's all in sequence. And that's not actually true. If you go back and look at movies like, for example, Captain America, the first Avenger is the it's the fifth film released in the MCU. And a lot of people like you, Paul, watch it first when you go through it because you you move it out of the release order and you put it in chronological order. But it's not just about that. If you go back to the phase one movies, if it's not a if it's not a direct sequel within an individual franchise, the order doesn't always matter. Like if you go back to 2011 Does it really matter what order you saw Thor in versus Captain America, the first Avenger? If you flip flop those in 2011 and you watch Captain America, the first Avenger in May and Thor in July, is it really that different? I don't think so. And go back to 2014, Captain America, the Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy. Does it really matter what order you see those in? Not really. Um, And even for like 2017. I would say it's probably better if you watch Thor Ragnarok as the last film in 2017 because it's a little bit closer to Infinity War but when you're, of course, looking at that mid credit scene. But for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Spider-Man Homecoming, the order didn't really matter. So I think with some of these projects, I think what Marvel Studios is doing, if it mattered, if it was really important that we saw WandaVision only after we've seen Black Widow, which and maybe we'll still see Black Widow before WandaVision. We don't know. But if the order really mattered that we see WandaVision before we see Falcon Winter Soldier, for example, since it looks like that scene, that part seems almost certain that we're going to see WandaVision first. If the order mattered, then Marvel Studios would delay it. But the order probably doesn't matter between those two specific installments. So we're okay to go ahead and watch WandaVision. The last thing that I would say about WandaVision as far as when can we expect to see it besides late 2020, can we have a more specific target date? And the most obvious one for me right now is actually Christmas Day. And the logic behind that is you have Mandalorian season two premiering on Sunday or I'm sorry, on Friday, October 30th. And if it's eight episodes at one episode a week, the last episode for season two would be on Friday, December 18th, meaning that if Disney doesn't if they don't want to have overlap and I could understand why they wouldn't because you don't need to. If you have Mandalorian drawing people into Disney Plus every Friday for eight weeks You don't need WandaVision to overlap. You could start WandaVision as soon as Mandalorian is over. 
So maybe on December 25th. But the other thing to keep in mind is maybe they double up Mandalorian on a, on a given week, whether that's the first week or the last week. Maybe they do multiple episodes, which means that Mandalorian runs out of episodes earlier. So maybe WandaVision makes it onto Disney Plus in on December 18th. But I do, I, I suspect that it's going to be the back half of December 2020. Um, and of course, maybe there's always the chance that there's going to be some overlap. They started earlier in December. But either way, we're going to see at least one episode of WandaVision before this year is done. And continuing on with more Disney Plus news, we now know who is going to be playing She-Hulk in that Disney Plus series, as well as overall across the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this was courtesy of Deadline. They had the exclusive last week that Tatiana Maslany is going to be playing She-Hulk. She is best known for her Emmy Award winning performance in Orphan Black, but she's also been in shows like the Perry Mason reboot on HBO this uh, this summer. And also some of us know her from a couple of episodes she did of Parks and Recreation. I am so just over the moon with this casting. I think this is perfect for Jennifer Walters slash She-Hulk. Tatiana Maslany, I, I don't think I could I can't claim that she was on my short list for this role, but that's on me for not thinking of her for this role. My favorite choice was actually Darcy Carden, who played Janet on The Good Place. But I'm just as excited about this choice with Tatiana Maslany as I would have been if Darcy Carden had received the role because Tatiana Maslany, I should have had her on my list for She-Hulk because she is such a great actress and somebody who I've actually thought about before. I've just I didn't have a specific role in mind. I just thought one day it'd be really cool if she was in the MCU because she was phenomenal in Orphan Black. And I don't really want to say because at this point, I know more people are going to be interested in probably checking out that show if you haven't already seen it to just see more performances from Tatiana Maslany and see get a sense of her as an actress. So I don't really want to I don't even want to explain the concept of the show because the concept in and of itself is a spoiler for the first few episodes as you start to realize exactly what's going on in this series. So I don't want to go into detail, but I will just say you will get to see Tatiana Maslany show a lot of different sides of her acting range. Uh, you will see that there's a lot of different things she can do as an actress, and it's all really, really impressive. I didn't see Perry Mason on HBO, but I've heard, uh, of course, her performance is very well reviewed there. But I also go back to the couple of episodes she did of Parks and Recreation because I had seen her in Orphan Black and you know, going back and, and re-watching episodes of Parks and Recreation. You see Tatiana Maslany and you realize she's really funny. And I think I remember hearing or reading in an interview once that she initially thought she was going to be doing a lot more comedy. But then with Orphan Black being the thing that where her career kind of really took off, she's really spent more time in the dramatic space. But in Parks and Rec, she was really funny in the episodes that she did. And so I always thought she had great comedic chops. And if somebody who was smart enough to see that and other things that she's done where she's had a chance to really show how funny she is, and there's some of that in Orphan Black as well. But there's a lot here to really capture all these different aspects of Jennifer Walters. And so even if they play on some of the things that, that have happened in the comic books, like where She-Hulk sometimes has sometimes has the exact same personality as Jennifer Walters in, in human form, sometimes not. And so if you need to have differing personalities, Tatiana Maslany can do that. She can do that very well. But I, I think what you see is an actress who can bring a lot of different dimensions to a character, to a role. And that's very important for Jennifer Walters with She-Hulk because you're going to see some dramatic stuff. But as we've also seen, whether it's the Charles Soule run 
even in the Dan slot run, but maybe not as effective there. But in multiple places with She-Hulk, there's there is drama, but there's also a lot of humor in it as well. And I think Tatiana Maslany can deliver all of that. So this casting news, it it wasn't something that I thought of. It, it wasn't there on my fan casting. But then when the headline was there, it just made complete sense to me. So I, I have not seen Orphan Black. I've heard I know what it's about before I, I knew this uh, way before this. And I've always intrigued me and I kind of forgot about it, to be quite honest. But I remember the reason why I was kind of thinking about checking out that show was because she was up for some Star Wars roles back mm. in the day. And there I, I don't remember. I want to say she was she up for a solo. It was for Rogue One. I, I right. want to I want to say it was Rogue One. And then also she almost got it, I think, for. I want it. No, she didn't know it wasn't for last Jedi. I thought she might've been up for Rose potentially as well, but no, I think, I think it was a rogue one if I'm not mistaken. And I think she almost got it. Like it was between her, um, and Felicity. And, and obviously I think Felicity did a phenomenal job as Jen. I loved her as Jen. And, uh, so, but I remember thinking like, man, like, and I kind of did some, you know, little tiny research when I, back in the day. And I remember reading the thing for orphan black going, huh, I should like watch that show. Um, you know, whatever. And now that she's cast as She-Hulk and knowing again, like you said, I'm not going to spoil it on there. Knowing what the show's about, talk about and what she's won Emmys. And I, I know I've, I've heard it's really she's a phenomenal actress in it. I am really intrigued with with this because I think that with the MCU, they usually they, they always play to the actor's strengths, you know, and I think that's what's really cool about uh, or at least when they, they, they say know that what they're capable of and they really emphasize what they're really good at. And I think that's, you know, just a great sign of a, a, a leadership from, you know, Kevin Feige and whatnot, or in putting the right actors and usually in their, in their places, as far as the, what's going to make them shine and sell the film and whatever. And I think that with that, there's going to be a huge, huge benefit of having her as Jennifer Walters slash She-Hulk because, like you said, Sean, there's a lot of different directions now you could take the She-Hulk um, character. And I think with – what I think you could do with this that you can't do with Bruce is you can kind of go a little more psychological with this be because – you have the TV show medium being able that long form of storytelling on screen and you don't have to worry about special effects as much because she's not going to have to be the CGI or again, I'm not even sure if they're going to, you know what they're going to do with CGI wise. It's not going to be as drastic as what they would have to do with uh, the Hulk in obviously an end game. So I would assume again, assuming that they're going to do a CGI of some sort um, with, with her in the show regardless there's a lot they could do with this and i'm really intrigued that because she hulk has had now a history with with a little more uh, a psychological uh, history now as 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 her cousin would be in the in the comics as as bruce maybe not as much and maybe not as intense maybe we'll just say um but I, but if you look at the recent uh, Avengers comics by Jason Aaron, that should tell you that they they've gone a more savage She-Hulk uh, route of the, more of the brainless. I want to say brainless, but it's kind of the that's what we always call the mindless Hulk or the brainless Hulk. You know, from back in the day, she's a lot more simplified and a lot stronger in that series um, 
right now. And that's the current comic series, at least as far as much as I read. And I've read a, a decent amount uh, a few a few weeks ago. And so with all that said, I think there's a lot of different cool uh, stories you could tell with the fact that Jennifer could be kind of going back and forth of this different personality within her. And you can really go and really go deep with that and with how the fact that that would affect someone like Jennifer Walters and who is a lawyer. And, you know, what, you know, that could be potentially some funny moments. It could be some heartbreaking moments. So mm-hmm. the, the range you have with, with Jennifer Walters and or what you could do with her and with She-Hulk, this this actress is going to just kill, I think. And again, I have not seen her or anything, but I've only heard great things and I really want to check out Over in Black. So I'm really excited. And it definitely, and that bums me out, but I definitely want to see more Hulk in the future. And there is, to me, there's an, a great emotional Hulk story out there that needs to be told on screen in one way or another. And I think with She-Hulk, there's a way to kind of do a a little more less intense version of that. And I'm really intrigued to see what they could do. And they also could just go a more simple, straight ahead, kind of fun version, like Dan Slott version of it, um, you know, and that'd be fine. So I think there's a lot you could do. The range of which they've cast this person, it leads me to think that anything is on the table at this point. And I think that's exciting for the character because She-Hulk has never been a character that I've I've loved necessarily, but I've always liked the character because she's always been a great supporting character in her own right. And so with that, I'm really, and obviously she's got, um, I think Dan Slott's run, even though it's a little, unfortunately of its time, even 10 years ago at this point or 12 years ago, that with all that being said, it still has some great moments and there's a lot of fun that you can be had with that. And I really enjoyed what Dan Slott was attempting to do with the character. And then they, I think they, and John Byrne as well in his fantastic forerun and her own right of comics. So yeah, there's a lot they can do. And I think having this actress in there as the range, it just gives them a lot of uh, flexibility and just range of what they can do with She-Hulk in the future. Totally agree. And I think that's what's so great about this casting is just how versatile of an actor Tatiana Maslany is because She-Hulk has gone through so many different incarnations and so many different kind of phases within her within her comic book stories and the comic book mythology. So I feel like this series, there's there's obviously going to be a certain intention behind it with what they're going for in this story. And I think that that will still be multidimensional and and Tatiana Maslany will be able to handle that. But as as you were talking about with the comic books, this is a character that evolves both Jennifer Walters and the She-Hulk side of things. And so whatever direction they want to go now and in the future with this character, Tatiana Maslany is going to be able to take the character there. And so I think that's what's great is whatever you have in mind now, she's going to knock that out of the park. But then if you want to change things up later on down the line, she's going to be able to do that, too. And when we just go back into like the idea of uh, Mark Ruffalo with Bruce Banner and the Hulk, I mean, he's talked about it. He, of course, said the deal isn't final or whatever, but he's going to show up in that series at some point. And I mean, even he tweeted about the Tatiana Maslany news saying, welcome to the family, cuz, of course, referring to Bruce Banner, Jennifer Walters being cousin. So it's all happening. It's all exciting. And uh, we also found out that Kat, uh, I don't know if it's Coiro or, or Quaro. I don't know if I probably butchered the pronunciation of the last name. She's going to be directing the series. So um, and I've seen some of the shows that she's done. Like I know she did Dead to Me on Netflix, which I haven't watched as much of, but she's done episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm a fan of that show. And so and of course, Jessica Gao 
from Rick and Morty is the uh, who wrote the Pickle Rick episode of Rick and Morty is the head writer on this series. And she basically confirmed the Tatiana Maslany news on her own Instagram. So I just like that things are moving with this series. And we now know who's playing She-Hulk. And it's such a great choice in Tatiana Maslany. If you're not familiar with her as a performer, you can certainly familiarize yourself with her. Parks and Rec is basically streaming everywhere at this point. Um, but you can, of course, catch Orphan Black. I, I think uh, I caught up with it on Amazon Prime, but I think there's other. I don't know where all you can find it now, but definitely seek out her work. And it won't take very long for you to figure out why this is someone Marvel Studios would be excited about uh, to hand the reins of She-Hulk to Tatiana Maslany. Uh, we also have updates last week from uh, late last week on directors for the Miss Marvel Disney Plus series. So the Hollywood Reporter, uh, they have confirmed that Adil El Arbi and uh, Bilal Falah, who directed Bad Boys for Life, they are going to be directing at least one episode of the series, although their involvement in the series was originally reported by the direct. But The Hollywood Reporter also added that Charmin Obeyed Chinoy and Mira Menon are also going to be directing episodes of the series. And remember that Bisha K. Ali is the head writer of Miss Marvel on Disney+. Plus. So just breaking down who these people are. So Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah, best known for directing Bad Boys for Life, which was a smash hit earlier this year. I did not see the movie in theaters, but that's my bad because the movie was really great. I caught up with it recently and I really liked that movie. I think they did an outstanding job directing that film. I think it's the best. And, and I was a fan of the Bad Boys movies uh, back when they originally came out. The first two films, I think this third one was actually the best. There was so much great character stuff uh, within that and so many, so many great, just such strong emotional arcs uh, for Martin Lawrence and, and Will Smith in there as Marcus and, and Mike. So it was a really great movie. And so I'm excited that this directing team is involved in this Miss Marvel series. I think they are going to do an outstanding job. Now, I'm not as familiar with the work of Charmin Obeyed Chinoy. But I don't know if I need I'm going to get myself familiar with it because her work is very it's very high acclaimed. It's critically acclaimed and it's also received some awards. She is a two time Oscar winner in the documentary short subject category for the Academy Awards. She won for Saving Face as well as A Girl in the River, The Price of Forgiveness. She is a Pakistani Canadian journalist, and I'm just excited about the stories that she can tell with Kamala Khan, and I also plan on familiarizing myself with uh, Charmaine Obeyed Chinoy's work very, very soon. Um, but I, of course, you don't need to take my word for it anyway. Not that the Academy is the arbiter of all things good. They often mess that up. But you have you don't win Oscars totally by accident. And also, obviously, there's there's elements in her work or all of her work that Kevin Feige and company have recognized. And certainly Marvel Studios track record for their directing hires is pretty great so far, so it's, it's pretty easy to trust their choices, but I will also familiarize myself with Charmaine Obey Chinoy's work, but then also the work of Mira Menon. Uh, I want to get familiar with her work. I've already seen the episode of The Punisher that she directed. She directed epi uh, the 11th episode of the second season, which at this point, I can't claim to have a, a strong memory of that episode, but I liked the all the episodes of Punisher season two, or most of the episodes of Punisher season two. Um, I thought Punisher was one of the better series on Netflix, so I'm excited about her being involved in a different capacity for Marvel Studios. Uh, she's also directed episodes of The Walking Dead, Titans, Dirty John, and Outlander. 
and then she also directed a couple of films. Uh, she directed a film called Farrah Goes Bang, which is a road trip comedy that centers on a young Muslim American woman. Haven't seen the movie yet, but I want to see it because I checked out the trailer. So I would at least have some sense of what she was doing as a feature film director with Mira Menon. And the movie looks really good, looks really funny, and I want to check it out. And of course, it did very well and was uh, drew a lot of praise on the independent and festival circuit when it came out. So I, I'm pretty confident in these choices. And as I said, plan to plan to familiarize myself with their work very, very soon. But I think what's also exciting about this is you see these choices and you see that Marvel Studios, of course, is getting directors who are very or at this point are, are pretty highly accomplished to be coming into this Disney Plus series. And I think it just shows the importance of this character. I mean, you have these directors coming in and, and you know that Marvel Studios is placing a lot of significance on the character of Kamala Khan, a Pakistani-American character, a Muslim character who hasn't really been in Marvel comic books that long. It's only been about six years since the character debuted. And yet already she has become such an important piece of pop culture and her presence has just rapidly expanded in Marvel comic books and, and not just in the comic books, but even outside of that. I mean, she's been in animation already for a number of years. She is now in video games. I mean, initially, that's the mobile games that Marvel does. So she's she's popping up there. But then now she's part of a major console game with the Avengers game. I and mean, she's one of the stars of that game, the Avengers title that came out this month. So we just see this character popping up more and more. And the kind of the last frontier for Kamala Khan is a live action adaptation. And we know that that's on the way. And so it definitely speaks highly of these directors that Marvel Studios is is, is putting them is putting this task before them because it's massively important because of who this character is, the power that she has uh, in terms of not uh, in terms, of, of course, furthering Marvel's goals with representation. I mean, really not just Marvel's goals, but furthering the importance, the significance of representation, of visibility, of inclusion on screen, of meaningful representation on screen, but also just Kamala Khan being this really awesome character who is so much fun and we know is going to have a big future everywhere she can in, on, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, we know that she's debuting in her Disney Plus series, but it's only a matter of time before we see her on the big screen, whether that's Captain Marvel 2 whether that's Ant-Man 3 as part of some Young Avengers type of squad. All of that stuff is in the future for Kamala Khan and the MCU. And so I think what's most exciting about this right now, just based on at least personally only having limited familiarity with some of these directors, is just the idea that things are moving forward with this series. And now that we know that we have directors for this series, it just makes me wonder how far how far away are we from knowing who's going to play Kamala Khan. Not that I expect it to be a name that we've heard of. Maybe it will be, maybe it won't, but I'm pretty sure that Marvel went through a big casting search and they probably had hundreds, if not thousands of actresses to come in and audition or, or read for this role. But whether we, whether it's somebody we know and are familiar with or not, if it's somebody who's going to be making their major acting debut, I trust Marvel Studios and their casting at this point and I'm certainly ready to embrace and support whoever they cast as Kamala Khan. I feel like that news can't be too far away when we're getting this director news. Just like when we found out that Kat Koiro was directing She-Hulk, it was later that same week that we found out Tatiana Maslany was playing 
She-Hulk. So things are moving with Ms. Marvel, and I look forward to finding out who our Kamala Khan's going to be very soon. Yeah, this is going to be I, I referenced this earlier, too. I, I obviously think that Miss Marvel is going to be a big part of whatever Avengers Young Avengers team is coming out. And it only makes sense. And I'm I'm really, really intrigued because I really liked the the, the original comics that came out with uh, Willow Wilson and uh, the artist. I forgot the name. Um, and it, it really bummed me out because when that artist left, I felt like the comic really dropped in quality because the art was so good. Um, and just really bum me out. Um, but that being said, a great character. And I think it's going to be an important thing for them to really nail because I, it's obvious that they have big plans for this character. Mm-hmm. And because like you said, Sean, she's popping up everywhere. Um, her comics are spiking for the back issues. There's a lot of speculation on it um, that she's, there's going to be a big focus with her because, you know, the game and, and, and whatever. And this is a popularity. The popularity of the character is there. Yeah. And so with all that, we really need to see, you know, we need someone who's going to be charismatic on the screen because she very much is the female, I would say, just kind of counterpart, you could say, to a Peter Parker where she's a, a little more or as far as. She's even even more outgoing than than Peter Parker. Peter Parker's not necessarily this outgoing, you know, guy. Kamala Khan is. I always envisioned her as this very kind of loud, and I don't want to say brash, but just a very kind of just very out there kind of girl. She's misunderstood, sure, but she's not she's kind of she has a personal a very distinct personality to her that's I think charismatic. I remember reading in the comics, just that coming across very obviously. So for me, the casting of this character just really, really depends on the actor, actress really having something that really just has an instant charisma about them. And so, and that's not something that every, you know, even actresses out, out there that I like don't necessarily, necessarily carry that charisma. That charisma very much is a rare thing. That's why it's hard for some actors and actresses to really hit their performances or come across the way they want in these big roles, because, Again, the charisma. I think I, I think of a uh, a great example is Robert Downey Jr. to let's say another MCU person like or Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner is not a, you know even though their characters are very different, the actors are just very different. And Downey Jr. just put himself in that role and, be, and that became that role. And I would say Renner just does an okay job. Again, I'm not the biggest Renner fan, not the greatest example, but you get what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. He's it's not it doesn't transcend the role. But like to me, Kamala Khan, you need to have that that really great personality because regardless of what you what interpretation of Tony Stark you have, Tony Stark is a big personality um, because of who he is, even in the comics, because I, I would always say Tony Stark was never that jokey in the comics, but he was a big personality. He had to be to be that successful. And the way Robert Robert did it was to play up the more humor aspect. And it was perfect. Well, you need that for Kamala Khan because you need to have something, not just a humor, but you need to have that charisma, whatever that actress needs to have to get it to the next level. That's what they need, because to me. Kamala Khan needs that charisma to connect because she is this, the the personality I see her as that, that glue of the team, if you will, that's what I kind of see her as. And I think it's important. So I think that, you know, you can have someone who who can deliver uh, a joke or two, uh, that'd be fine, but there needs to be that next level because I think that's what the character needs to have because there is a great story to be told there because with, with her origin, 
to me, whether you go the inhuman route or whatever, there's going to be an emphasis of her powers probably coming from an Avengers fight of some way or another. And that's what I'm really excited to see where they go with that because she's inspired by Captain Marvel. And because of that, there is that the new generation of being inspired by the Avengers. We haven't really had that necessarily. And that's what I think this next set of films are going to have with the Hawkeyes and the statures or stingers or whatever they're, you know, Cassie Lang is going to be. And I think with her, there's going to be the inspiration of what these heroes mean for the next generation. And it's going to be that meta commentary in my opinion, which I'm not always the biggest meta fan as far as meta commentary in, in storytelling, because I think it could be convoluted and it just kind of gets heavy handed. Whereas with this, I think it fits really well. You need to have that meta commentary and you need to have believe that Kamala Khan can become a superhero through her inspiration of, of someone like Captain Marvel. And I think just having that, that will to be better, and through the inspiration of, amongst other things, obviously, of her, 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 I think her religion and obviously her family, but having that as the main inspiration to become a superhero is is it's going to be important. So I think to me to have that, you need to have that that bigger personality to nail to nail the reason of why of she's being inspired because she doesn't have. She's not going to have a connection to the greater Marvel universe, unlike probably a stature or even Hawkeye at this point, because we all know that whoever happens in this Hawkeye series, there's probably going to be a connection somewhere or another with, with Hawkeye. In my opinion, I think there's going to be, and with Miss Marvel, it works on a level that she doesn't have that connection. And that's what makes her, her inspiration of Captain Marvel such a, a, a big deal in my opinion. So to me, there's this Marvel needs to be a lot of different things. So I, I don't know. I, I'm really excited to see what they do with this. And I think there's going to be a lot of different options on the table, how you deliver and what they, who they cast. So it's really exciting. I, I'm really excited to see what they do with this character, because I think this could be a giant breakout character for the MCU. I totally agree. I think that, and I've said it before, I think Ms. Marvel might be the best superhero that's been created in my lifetime. I think she's that good. And I think she's been not just relevant and it's not just, and of course these things are important. The way that she, you know, provides representation that she makes the Marvel comics universe more diverse, more inclusive and having that ability in video games and having that now move into the live action Marvel cinematic universe. But it's also just about this being a really, really great character. And, and I think that what makes her so exciting and so much fun is just getting to know who this person is with Kamala Khan. And I don't really expect them to keep the inhuman part of her origin because it's not really essential to who she is. How she got her powers to me isn't even really her origin story of like, who is Kamala Khan? That to me is so inessential. Like the fact that she's an inhuman was just a matter of what worked well at the time based on what was already happening in Marvel Comics at that moment. There was this Terrigen cloud that was floating around Earth because of a fight between Thanos and Black Bolt, where he set off a Terrigen bomb in Jonathan Hickman's Infinity, which happened in twenty uh, twenty in the latter half of twenty thirteen, uh, before, of course, Miss Marvel burst onto the scene uh, later on. So it was really just more of a matter of circumstance of why she was an Inhuman, and that's how she gets her powers. We don't really have in the MCU proper, not counting Agents of Shield, in the MCU proper, we don't have any setup for Inhumans. And Dr. Clifford V. Johnson, who's a physicist who works with Marvel and has consulted on things like Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, he's also worked on 
Miss Marvel, and he told Empire that he was kind of writing, uh, he was helping them with a possible rule book for how the different types of science would work together. And going back to Kang, as we started our show, it wouldn't really surprise me because quantum has kind of been, you know, they put the word quantum in front of everything, as Scott Lang would say. Quantum has kind of been a big source of weird things in the MCU already. I mean, it's also how Ghost got her powers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with her phasing. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's some sort of quantum element to Miss Marvel's stretchy powers, her embiggening powers. But that to me is not the most interesting part. That's a simple bit of trivia, how she gets her powers in the MCU versus how she got them in the comic books. What really matters is who is this person and what is her life? Everything from her family to growing up Muslim and the different requirements of her within her religion and how some, not all of those things are, are things she's able to reconcile. Not all, all of those things are necessarily she agrees with or, or agrees with or enjoys. But yet there are there is part of her spirituality that she does embrace and certainly her family, as well as her just being a high school kid and dealing with the pressures of that and, and as well as having her friends, but then also just being this uber fan of Captain Marvel, but then also as you see in the video game, I mean, she's an Avengers number one fan and, and, a, and a Captain Marvel number one fan. And I think you're going to see that in the MCU. And I think that you have directors here, I mean, who can certainly relate to this character. I mean, Charmaine Obey Chinoy, whose films have focused on a lot of Pakistani culture and is a Pakistani Canadian, she can certainly relate to Kamala Khan and that experience. And then you have uh, Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fala, who are Muslim filmmakers who are of Moroccan descent, but they talk, I've seen interviews with them where they talk about just kind of growing up fans of movies. And so, you know, in the MC, within the, con the context of the MCU, the Avengers are your movie stars. Like those are your idols if you're a kid who looks up to heroes. Like we saw, you know, Peter Parker being completely uh, starstruck when Tony Stark was in his living room. You're going to see a lot of that with Kamala Khan, but I think you're having directors and filmmakers who really get a lot of these different aspects because that's what had made those Miss what has made Miss Marvel comic books so much fun and so enjoyable um, throughout the time throughout these past several years that she's been around. It's just who this character is and all the different aspects of her life that we have been able to dive into. And that's why I'm also excited that we're starting with a Disney Plus series because I think there's so much interesting ground to cover for Kamala Khan that you could never get it all within a two hour origin film. So to have a presumably six episode at least series on Disney Plus, you can really get into that and get take us into her world and all the different aspects of it and then branch out from there with her just becoming a bigger and bigger presence as a superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's just really exciting to know that things are moving forward with that series. Not that we you know, not, not that we didn't think that things were moving forward, but things haven't moved forward, or at least we haven't heard about things moving forward in a long time. We haven't really heard it very often. We haven't had a, a news week like last week in quite a while for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And while certainly we are aware that there are other things happening right now that are not fun and that are not exciting for this little you know universe that we kind of escape to escape into and find joy in where we take breaks. Um, to uh, to enjoy some of these things, it's nice to have some of these things to start looking forward to. It's obviously been a very difficult year for a lot of us for a lot of reasons and will continue to be. There's certainly uh, more work that needs to be done and more challenges that lie in front of us. But for this thing that that entertains us, that we enjoy, that we draw inspiration from, uh, that helps further 
you know, some of the things that we that we try to do that might be more important than just talking about Marvel movies or listening to things about Marvel movies and Marvel stories. Um, you know, this is part of this is something that I know has the power to inspire and drive a lot of us. So it's great to it's just great to see and hear how things are moving forward. Now, before we wrap up the show, just want to let you know that we are going to talk about Black Widow. I know Variety posted an article this week talking about how the movie is likely to be delayed. And of course, that seems fairly obvious based on what's happening in theaters right now. We will address that in the Patreon credit scene. And that's just a, an exclusive feature that we have, an exclusive podcast that we offer on the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. That's where there are exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else, like the Patreon credit scenes where we just add on a topic to the main show. We also have Marvelous Moments, which are scene breakdowns. Uh, the most recent one for uh, with for Chadwick Boseman did the One Tribe uh, mid credit scene from Black Panther. We also do the Marvel Unlimited Book Club, which you heard Paul talk about. And so if you sign up and you subscribe, you get your own private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts. So you get this show, the MCU fan show and all of the exclusive Patreon shows all in one feed. And we also have an awesome Discord community where we were talking about and reacting to this news all week. That is also exclusive to the Patreon. And you can find out more information on all of that. Again, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Speaking of which, have some folks to thank. Thank you very much to Megan C., Edward H., Christopher P., and Bianca J. for being part of our Patreon community, as well as being part of our Discord community. Thank you all so much for uh, for joining us over there. But that is where we are going to wrap up this edition of the MCU Fan Show. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at MCU Fan Show. And then remember to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, if you wouldn't mind. And Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, check out our my other podcast with our friend Chris Clow. Uh, it is the Comic Binge Podcast at Binge Comic on Twitter. We uh, just released the three Jokers review of the first issue, kind of breaking outside our normal quote unquote rules. But we will we will be reviewing uh, the old guard initial run, uh, run or six issues, whatever you want to call it, volume uh, by Greg Rucka with our good friend Jonah Marie. Uh, and she's great and uh, yeah that movie just came out on Netflix and we review the comics so check it out that will be dropping probably the next couple weeks so yeah check us out very cool and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber you know the spelling by now S-E-A-N so for Paul I'm Sean thanks for listening we'll see you next time 